hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another Foul Front per usual. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me is, I guess, the former host of the Foul Front, my good buddy, Mr. Ben Page. How are you doing, buddy? The usurped host of the Foul Front. Uh, uh, hostile no. takeover over here, yeah. Hostile takeover, yes. I'm doing good, Matt. It's hot. It It is very hot. It, uh, I think we've hit 100 the last three, four days, and upper 90s for the next two weeks so i'm i'm ready um, for winter i would like to paint a picture for the I, I we're not doing video on this no oh okay so that's what everyone knows um matt is just sitting there real trashy like in his apartment he's got his shirt off he's got what kind of hat on oh he's got a ducks unlimited hat on we'll give him credit there but uh yeah he's he's really it's an inspiring sight. Well, now there is a, there is some uh, backstory to this. So when I record podcasts, I turn my AC off so it doesn't make noise in the background. So I'm sacrificing myself for hopefully better audio quality. <laughs> so. I've heard your audio quality, man. I don't think it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth the the, the nominal gain you're going to get. Uh, well, we can't all be experts, so. Ah. But Noah, no, what have you been up to? You kind of just fell off the face of the earth there the last two, four years. Felt like from the public eye, you mean? Because I feel like I have talked to you more now than than I, yeah, I did fair. in the previous five years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've just been I've been working, um, scaling, kind of trying to scale my impact on conservation um i when it comes to like the the why i no longer am on the podcast or anything like that it's nothing like i just don't have as much time and um and all that but probably the biggest news in my life lately matt is uh, i'm the me and my family we are the proud new owners of a camper Ooh, yeah 
How many times have you have you tried it out yet? Yeah, like five times. Five times. Does it have working AC? It does better than your apartment. I would venture <laughs> that. Well, that's not hard. Uh, I actually got back from a camping trip this past week, and I don't, I you know, I don't have all those fancy campers and AC and all that good stuff. It's just a tent. We did. My girlfriend, she has an air mattress, so we were a little yeah. bit, uh, you know, I guess high on the hog there. But that was about the uh, the fanciest part of the whole trip was we had an air mattress. So. Yeah, gun to my head like a year ago, if you told me like, will you own a camper? I would say like, no, like there's no way I would ever own a camper. I took my wife tent camping like one time and she was like, that was the best thing ever. This is the greatest thing for our family. We need to do this more often, except the only part that sucked was the tent. And so <laughs> literally like the next day she was sending me like Facebook posts about campers and and, you know, since I'm not the decision maker at my house, um, in like the next week we had a camper. Yeah, there you go. Other than that, um, yeah, I, I just, I recently, I got a new job, um, kind of transitioned from, um, from my, from my old job, um, into another one. I'm still in the, the conservation space, just working a slightly different angle to, to the old mission. So, so what's your, what's your new job? Um, so essentially, you know, I kind of transit transition from like R3 marketing, working with state agencies. Uh, and now I'm kind of in the, um, in the market of changing land use behavior, um, specifically with like carbon markets. Uh, I know that you're, you're kind of familiar with carbon markets, but, uh, essentially I, I get to help landowners and, and carbon project developers get, get paid to sequester carbon using nature-based solutions and, and generating carbon credits um, that, that we eventually buy and, and sell to, to corporate buyers that are looking to offset their, their carbon emissions. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So I, I get, I have a, uh, I was going to say like it, for anyone wondering, like that sounds pretty nascent and, and weird, right? Like I do have a, like a mission that I'm on and that's like a future with like more wild places, more wild things and more wild people. And so, you know, I'm kind of like getting away from the, the wild people, um, and uh, I'm still working with people, of course, but kind of transitioning on, let's create some more, some more nature. Yeah, I like the sound of that. So I guess let's, uh, in your absence, you went over on the Foul Front podcast group over on Facebook. If anyone else wants to join, there's uh, some discussion going on. I'm sure it'll really kick off this upcoming season. But you went and asked some questions or asked people for questions and we've got a few of those so we'll uh run through those real quick as fast or as quick as we can and then uh we'll kind of touch on what you already said was your former job r3 as there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that or at least some criticism surrounding it i guess and we'll kind of just flesh that all out and uh call that a podcast when we're done but uh let's just see what we have here on the old facebook group cool Okay. CJ Costa, what is the best overall gauge and choke combo for everything from teal to big Canada's? First off, CJ Costa, he's the uh, he's the owner of, of Costa Sunglasses, right? So it's really uh, nice having having him in the in the foul front uh waterfowl podcast group. Yeah, he's been holding out on uh <laughs> I haven't got any of those deals yet, I guess. I didn't realize he owned that, but yeah. I I don't know if that's 
the case. <laughs> no, I, I don't don't think so. Uh, I'm Could rocking be. my five dollar Walmart special still. So, also, is that how you say? It? Is it or is it Costa? 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 I think it's Coast. Coast. Not his last I, name. The the sun the sunglass brand. I don't know. I don't wear fancy sunglasses. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Continue. Continue. Anyways, uh, best overall gauge and choke combo for everything from teal to big Canada's. Uh, that would that would be uh, the twelve gauge full choke. Who no? I'm just kidding. Um, I I mean I shoot a twelve gauge. I don't have any experience with all these um, fancy gauges that you shoot. Uh, it is fun <laughs> to take the twenty gauge out sometimes. Um, but but for, is this for me or is this over like like what's I'm, the textbook say? I'm a, I'm guessing it's the latter. You know what? If okay. someone was new and they were asking about this, yeah, I'd have to say probably the 12 gauge, just because it's the most readily available shot size. At like for ammo wise, um, there's a lot more models of guns, and then the choke combo. It that's a tough one. I probably you probably just go modified. The, the the teal to big Canada's that range is what's throwing me off because. Um, you know, for teal, personally, I'd shoot an IC and I'd shoot my 28 gauge <laughs> or yeah. a 20 gauge and then I'd big Canada's, like, you know. Yeah. The the non-answer there is is uh, the gauge and choke combo that makes you feel most dangerous. Um, but I would say probably 12 gauge uh, mod. I mean, if you got them, if, what was it? Did, did he say doves too? No, he just said teal. Oh, teal? I mean, if you got them at 30 yards, right, it doesn't, like... Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, though, you know, teal, you get 10 yards. You don't want a full choke in with a 12-gauge on teal at 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, that's probably... That's I fair. wouldn't even want to... Personally, I don't want a 12-gauge on teal at that close range anyways, but... I'll be honest, the mod doesn't come out of my gun until turkey season. And then I have to, like going into teal season or dove i have to make like a concerted triple check to like oh okay i I got the mod back in so all right uh another one on here if you could only pick one shotgun to hunt with for the season what would it be i think you kind of just answered that i did i you said 12 gauge right mod yeah but oh i don't think that was the heart of the question um I would say, like, just one gun for the whole season, probably my Browning BPS. Okay. Yeah. Never fits. Uh, I think, you know, I'd go Vanilla Ethos, Super Sport, 28-gauge. I shoot more ducks than geese anyways, so that's... Yeah. And for those that, that don't remember or have never heard me before... I am a very like I'm very all about the pump, um, pump guns. <laughs> I legitimately bought a semi and then ended up uh, uh, getting rid of it um, to buy another pump. So, hey, there's no shame, no shame in the pump guns. I I just the pump forces me to slow down, whereas the semi, I'm just you know you know me, Matt. I'm go go go. And all three of those <laughs> rounds would be in the same bird, probably. Quick so. shooter. 
Okay, um, going through here some more. All right, we got uh, some real. Isn't there thought... one about like hunting parties or something? Yeah, there's. So this is underneath. There's like four or five questions here. So we'll try to lightning round these or kind of go a little faster, I suppose. Uh, pre-hunt preparation. Okay, pre-hunt preparations for big trips, weekend warrior trips, and quick evening morning hunts. For big trips, um. I guess I'm assuming you're traveling several hours away mm-hmm. and so you want to be prepared to switch it up if you can, you know, if, if you have a kayak, if you have sleds, I'd throw those in, take a whole different variety of decoys, kind of maybe reach out to people in that area, maybe contacts you have, or kind of maybe do some scouting on just general knowledge, you know, based on the habitat you're going to be in as for what yeah. species you may encounter for both confidence decoys and ducks and geese and then prepare accordingly because you might have it all planned out and the weather could throw a kink in it. You might, you know, some place could be dried up. There's all kinds of things that could change your plan. So be, be adaptable, be versatile and just prepare for all that. Um, all right. Let me cut you off there. Okay. So um, I, this will probably hit home with a certain segment of the audience but okay i'm going out for like three days out uh to go hang around with my degenerate friends like like matt here we're gonna go just hunt ducks and geese for you know three days uh first thing first and foremost is like making sure that i've communicated this to my wife like multiple times you know and then the second thing is is like all right what do i have in place to like help her have an easier time with the kid while I'm gone. Like, Oh, I've planned a trip for my sister to come over and like take her for the afternoon or, you know, Oh, I got her a massage or something like something that will make her life easier while I'm gone. And thus makes my time out in the field feel more worth it. Second thing is like truck, just got fresh oil change brakes checked, you know, pop the hood, everything's good, not going to have any issues out there. And then, um, yeah, like you said, like, got the kayak, got, uh, you know, utility bag of decoys, The not the kitchen sink. I don't like bringing the kitchen sink. I like to kind of go minimalist on, on those types of hunts. I'll usually, like, bring a bag of silhouettes no matter what. I just feel like can't hurt to throw in there. And then some, some good snacks. Yeah, um, maybe a cooler. Uh, make sure, you know, keep your meat cold or a grill or something so you can eat eat it while you go up there. I guess it really depends how long you're looking at yeah. going. Uh, weekend Warrior trips, yeah. kind of about the same, I'd say, really. Yeah, what's a, what's, what's a weekend warrior trip? I'm guessing, you know, they roll out Friday night, go hunt Saturday or maybe scout Saturday morning, hunt Saturday afternoon, oh, yeah, hunt yeah. Sunday morning, and then roll back sun, Sunday night, something like sure. that. Sure, Um quick evening and morning hunts that's okay so you want to make sure if you're going to do that um you want it somewhere probably fairly close to wherever you're at so you can save time and you want to have it scouted beforehand so you kind of want to go to a place that you've scouted the day before or maybe even a week before or something uh a place that you're fairly confident will have like open water or whatever you're looking to hunt on 
and birds in the, at that time. So you also probably want to pack fairly light, you know, like just a dozen decoys or less with maybe, you know, we're going to assume for, uh, we're just going to assume it's a duck hunt here. Uh, so a dozen, a dozen decoys in a sled, maybe your guns, box of shells, calls in a bag. You want to basically just get out there as fast as you can so you can hunt as long as you can. You don't need to be spending a lot of time. Um, and then you want to kind of have an idea for a hide already made up in your mind. So if you have mm-hmm. private property, you know, you might have a pit blind already brushed in. You might have a pit blind out there or an A-frame or something. You don't have to worry about your hide. If you're hunting somewhere with cattails or tulies, you can just hunker down on those. Boom, you got your hide already. So anything you can do to cut time other than like speeding excessively, <laughs> I don't really, you know, I don't want to advocate for that, but um, that that's how you can get those quick evening or morning hunts in. And if you have a flexible work schedule or an understanding boss, you know, where like, Hey, I, can I work two hours later? And, you know, so then you can hunt in the morning or work earlier so you can get off early and then go hunt as well in the afternoon. Um, that, that, that's yeah. a big plus too. There's nothing better than like a Friday morning hunt, uh, where you like have clearly communicated this with your supervisor. Granted, like, obviously there's some jobs that require you to be in the office or, or, you know, wherever you're at, um, particularly, um, you know, the skilled labor of, uh, um, like the technical jobs. But if you've got like a white collar job or something like that, where you're working from home or your computer, like talking to your boss and being like, Hey, listen, I'm going to throw about 45 hours of work in this week before uh, Friday morning rolls around. Um, and I'll, I'll be on in the afternoon. Um, if you, if you really need me, like, um, I can probably answer some emails while I'm out there, but, um, that way you're not burning PTO like or something like that. And I'd venture to guess post COVID era. Um, a lot of those types of jobs are pretty, um, um, leaning towards that. I think just communication goes a long ways. I'm also privileged in that, in that, in that as well. I acknowledge that. Yeah. So I'm going to apologize here. Chad's the one that answer asked the, all these questions and they're great questions so much so that, we could do individual episodes on some and we probably will in the future here, but uh, we'll do one I more like off his list. And uh, the hunting party one, come on. I was going to do scouting variances. Oh, that's dumb. You don't need a scout. Wow. Just calling out our <laughs> listeners like that. Okay. Just kidding. Okay. Okay. We'll do import. Are you talking the hunt group? The last one. Importance yeah. of the hunt group and the role they fill in the team. Planner, snack man, idea guy, storyteller, cook, gear guy, etc. I got this one. Let me go first. Uh, it's all it's all you. I hunt solo most of the time anyway, so yeah. <laughs> I'm all <Yeah>. those. <laughs> um finding a guy that is like willing to do all the scouting work and you know, let you sleep in his dingy dingy apartment, um, and really just you kind of show up and and uh basically <laughs> critique his plan and make changes that really frustrate him. That person is essential in the group. Um, the guy that's going to do all the work. I'm just kidding. You got to have, you got to have the guy that's bringing breakfast burritos. You got to have the person who's like willing to just like throw everything in their jet sled and just haul through the woods or whatever. Uh, I think those are important people to have. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the scouting thing. Yeah. This <laughs> yeah sure oh no all right sorry no i mean it 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 
the big one on those, I would say probably the most important is if you can form within your hunting group or your core hunting group are people that scout and scout religiously. Cause that's, that's the best way you're going to get the, on the birds is if you're scouting constantly. And if you have permissions to, you know, other spots, people like spots, other people may not have, however, you know, however they have connections or whatever. Um, but the scouting, knowing where the birds are, knowing what they're doing at whatever time, that's very valuable information. So, and you might have, I mean, your whole hunting group could be that they're just scouting different areas or something. Yeah. Whatever it is, right. Like as long as the entire group um, sees the value chain uh, of, of what, what, what everyone's bringing, some, some guys might not, some gals might not have, you know, the time to go scout or they're rolling up, but that person should probably be like the, the dude that brings 30 dozen decoys for like a goose field hunt or brings the breakfast burritos and a great attitude. Right. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. Let's roll on here. Theo Congdon says, what's up with you? Um, we all know what's wrong with you. <laughs> How you been? Okay. So we kind of already talked on that. <laughs> Dustin Reese, just talk. We need us some Ben page time. Well, you're pretty good at that. <laughs> Oh. All right, well, uh, Hunter Dietl, how do you? Sorry, how do states fix the public fix future public access issues? It takes investment, but where does that investment come from? So, Ooh, if if I had the answer to that, wouldn't be talking to you mere mortals on this here podcast. I'd be living living it up somewhere, and I'd have all the best access, and I'd be a millionaire probably. Um, but that's not the case. I, I think it's a super nuanced, um, solution. I think he asked, where does the funding come from? It's not even that probably it's, there's, there's a lot of things. It's how do you get additional access when private land prices are through the roof? There's leasing going on from both outfitters and private citizens for a variety of purposes that may not allow hunting or want it just for themselves. Um, I mean, and then you've got increased urbanization and habitat destruction as well. So it's, it's a very multifaceted issue. And I think, I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on this too, but investment wise, You've, you've got to involve the private landowner somehow and incentivize them to enroll it in, at least in like states like Nebraska, the walk-in programs or, you know, Weehaw down in Kansas or whatever you want to call it. So, right. The, you're right. We could probably spend an entire uh, career fixing that, not just a podcast. And there are many people that have are devoting their their working lives to those, to those problems. I, I would say that for me, it all boils down to relevancy of hunting, right? Um, when you have more relevancy for hunting and, and obviously this trickles up habitat, nature, right? Um, you're going to get more areas, more, more, more landscape to, to do these activities on, um, for one, and it'll kind of like right now, 
the reason the, the price for public land is, excuse me, private land hunting opportunities is so high is because it's in such high demand, right? Um, kind of the, the demand is, is outrunning the supply right now. And so finding balance there, um, obviously we don't want to shrink the demand for hunting. That's not the solution at all. And I think we can touch on some of that later. I, I, looking at some of the questions you, you sent me um, a little while ago, we'll probably touch on that in a little bit. But shrinking the demand for hunting access is not the solution. Um, so obviously we got to up the supply and uh, got to make yeah make more habitat so that you can have more access to it. And this is thanks for setting me up for success on this one, Matt. Well, I think there are a few smaller things, I would say, just right off the bat that however feasible they are, I, I don't know. You know, I haven't dug in that deep. Um, you know, Belf Ground or Board of Education, school land ground, whatever you want to call it, that, a lot of that is public across the western United States. Here in Nebraska, it's private. It's leased out ever so many mm-hmm. years. Um, you could... Just, just in like the state of Nebraska, I don't know what how, what the case is. I know it's private in some other states as well. You could change that, although most of it's farmland and not very suitable for hunting anyways. Why? why hold on. I think a better question for this is, okay, why is it tough to get permission or a, a lease on private property, right? If, if you have the lease, at least there's hunting access there, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. And with the amount of demand um, for hunting leases and desirable hunting leases, the price is going up. I, I think a, the hunter looks at that as a very bad thing, right? Because it there's this pay-to-play thing. But on the other hand, you are creating an incentive for landowners to, to, to have hunting um, on their property, albeit it's strictly monetary. And that comes back to my relevancy thing. Um, it's, it's a good thing for us to have more land. That's, uh, got more biodiversity on it. Right. And as, as hunters, we're drawn to biodiversity. Think about it. Like we don't want monoculture landscapes. Those generally, that's not where, um, that's not where the game is. Right. Yeah. And so if we, if we can monetize biodiversity, to areas there's there's more of it and these more diverse landscapes more habitat as in in, in the layman's term um I, I think if there's another mechanism to fund that um stacking on hunting leases will become you know um, less expensive for the person that's trying to gain access to it but ultimately i i've definitely softened my stance on like hunting leases um because it, it is important to pay landowners to value biodiversity on, on their land. Sucks for us right now, of course, right? But um, yeah, you got to keep working towards that. Yeah, so I guess another thing, um, you know, there's, there's more people than just hunters and anglers who enjoy wild lands. Um, and I've heard, I've heard this criticism. Why don't you make those people buy a hunting license or make it so it's, I mean, like we have the state park system here in Nebraska, right? And if you want to enter it, it's nature for the most part, you have to buy it. And that's, doesn't matter what you want to do. If you want to go recreate on it, 
you have to buy the state park permit. But it's not like that for a WMA or um, OFW land, like open fields and waters, the walk-in land. Anyone can go out there if you want to go bird watch or if you want to, you know, whatever, whatever else you want to do. Basically, they're not chipping in their fair share is what some people are saying. And I can understand that perspective. So why not make them, if you want to use public lands in whatever state, why not make people, some people pay that? And I think yeah. on the national refuge system, they require some on some of them to buy like the federal migratory bird stamp. Sure. But, you know, you know I have an interesting like internal dilemma for this. Um, <laughs> that, right there. There's the. I've heard it called the backpack tax, right? Or, um, you know, the bird, the birders tax and stuff like that. And what I would challenge um, hunters with a question of, okay, that is more money for conservation, right? They, there's no such thing as non-consumptive use of, of our public land. So a lot of times you'll hear um, bikers um, or backpackers, um, refer to hunters um, or even hunters themselves refer to it as, oh, those are consumptive users. The hunters are because they're going out there and they're, you know, taking game off the landscape. So they're, they're consuming the landscape. Well, uh, when a dirt biker or a mountain biker rolls through there, even a hiker, right? You're displacing um, essentially like <laughs> uh, respite for that, for those game animals and, and the, the, the wildlife there. And so you're still consuming, um, you're still consuming um, the the resource by pressuring and moving animals around. So, circling back, apologies. Um, you might call and say, "I want you to pay your fair share," but I would warn you that there's a lot more bikers, backpackers, bird watchers than there are hunters, and when you invite them to the table of paying for it, their voice is stronger at that table in dictating how that land is used. And so if all of a sudden the main funding mechanism of the North American model of conservation is backpackers, mountain bikers, and it's less and less the hunters and the anglers, right? Um, and, and the sport shooters, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I, we often leave them out and they're the, the biggest driver of um, funding for uh, for our conservation model. But I want to warn you that is when you start telling them to pay for that access, your voice is then weaker on there uh, in that table because now they're paying stakeholders. And so they can dictate, well, we want this to just be for mountain bikes and all this other stuff that the hunters are getting in the way as opposed to the hunters saying, well, we pay for this, <laughs> you know, and the bike, the bikers and the, the backpackers are getting in the way. So I just an interesting uh, thought scenario for you to, to tease out in your mind. No, that's I mean that's you know that's I've heard that brought up too, um, and that that's very true. Uh, like like you said, you know we our voice weakens, and I'm sure we'll kind of touch on that in just a second as well uh, with this R three discussion. But uh, yeah, so th there's a lot of a lot to that issue, and like I said, we could do a whole podcast on it. But let's kind of pivot a little to something kind of related that you just hit on, and that's R three. Um, so I guess let's just kind of talk about what your former job was with R three. Let's start out with what exactly 
it what it is for people that don't know and then um what you did and why you chose to work in in that on that like part of the conservation model within conservation at that time yeah. in your life yeah so in my former um company um I, actually first off r3 right recruitment retention reactivation right so recruiting new hunters retaining the hunters that you do have and then pulling those back into the fold that, that have quit um why we do that maybe we can get in here in just a little bit but that's the that's the term um what it's not is strictly marketing i think a lot of people see r3 and they immediately think of the instagram influencer or the the youtuber that's being paid to promote hunting and fishing right um so i want to say very succinctly that is like they're that's part of it it's not the whole thing and in often oftentimes uh, marketing is 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 not like serving our three purposes um our three encompasses programs and education and and the process of of doing our three recruiting retaining and reactivating in a way that's sustainable um and is is working towards the objectives of the state fish and wildlife agencies um and so the last job that i worked with was actually it was a software company um that served state fish and wildlife agencies with that uh with the software when you when you buy your hunting or your fishing license whether it's at at walmart um or um on on like a like a tablet that they've got there or just behind the counter um the website that you that you buy your hunting and fishing license off of the the mobile apps all that and um and i was kind of in charge of building and then helping state agencies use marketing technologies unlocking their data being able to to use all the data that they do have um so that they don't have to go out and you know pay exorbitant amounts of money to talk to you on facebook through some paid channel right um things like that and ultimately the like the mission of that is is to provide you the hunters the anglers the recreational shooters um a better experience and ultimately have a a, a better relationship with your state agency um so you know a lot of that was was focused on the business of conservation which like state agencies uh, they do run the business of, of conservation right they they have to <laughs> they have to deploy resources um, that make their way into habitat and they have to distribute certain amounts of uh, you know they have to do all the science that costs money they have to do you know all the things it all costs money it's a business um, with a with a very specific objective of serving its constituents not so much customers um, but then of course along with that uh, you know I served a, a lot of their their r3 efforts as well uh, with, with my work so Oh, did you, All right. were you asking why I chose to work on that as well? Yeah. What what drew you to that career field? So we all like walk around in our daily life. Um, some of us are more blessed than others, but for most of us, we walk around and like 93% of the people that we're interacting with could care less about hunting, fishing, or, or shooting sports. Not that they're against it, just that they could care less about it. It's not in their 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 sphere of concern um or it's not the thing that drives them it's not in their hopes fears or 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 ambitions and 
everybody listening to this show probably knows how important hunters, anglers, and, and especially um, recreational shooters are to the funding model of conservation. Um, it's the most successful model of conservation that, that we've seen play out um, in this world. Um, and so being part of um, a space or a movement that could help fix that and make hunting, fishing, shooting more relevant um, in everyday uh, society, something that I really wanted to be a part of. I've got a mission in life, or at least for my, my life's work, and that is that I, I want more wild places, more wild things, more wild people, like I mentioned. Um, having a, a healthy demand for public places and, and habitat and hunting and fishing and, and shooting access is really important to ensuring that it, it actually does happen in the future. I, what's it look like in, in 50 years when hunting is, is only important to 1% of the population? How do you think that's going to go for you? Probably not, not, not well. And so a future with more wild people um, was kind of my way of ensuring uh, that sentiment and cultural importance of hunting, fishing, and shooting sports is, is, is going to remain. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you really hit on a bunch of uh, great points there. Uh, one thing, I guess, you know, coming, because, you know, I have, I have a YouTube channel, and one of my uh, reasons for starting it is I want to share my passion for the outdoors, mainly waterfowl hunting, with people that may not have ever gotten the chance to experience it. And I don't want to delve off too far into social media like you know that's a whole nother can of worms that we can discuss on we'll just plan on doing that in the future too um but even if we're not you know even if i'm not retaining or reactivating or um recruiting recruiting thank you uh you know new people or even if someone goes out and they think, Hey, I want to try that. And they go out once and they're like, it's not for me, but I understand it now, or I have a better understanding of it. I want it really, would you, I guess, would you categorize that as R3 or like, here's a person we didn't retain them. We didn't recruit them. We didn't reactivate them, but they tried hunting for themselves or maybe they didn't even try it. They just can appreciate Cause I've had those conversations through, you know, different social media outlets with people that were unaware that we eat what we shoot or, you know, like just the, the, the general views and the beauty that you see when you're out there in nature hunting, you know, one of the reasons a lot of us do it. And those people, I feel like came away with a better understanding of us as hunters and why we do it. But I want to say that they're now hunters. So I, yeah. I, I don't know if I would categorize them as people being affected by R3, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I always, I got a lot of flack and, and kind of, um, um, I always said it, but um, it was always kind of just a joke, but I always said it should be like R5, right? It should be recruitment, retention, reactivation, revenue and relevancy with relevancy being like the most important um, yeah. revenue, revenue touching on the funding model. Right. But relevancy, um, like the most important are, <laughs> um, if we could just like snap our fingers today, like, I think there's some criticism of R three and saying, we don't need more hunters and anglers. We need more people to support hunting and angling. And it's like, Hey, great. Have you ever met a human before though? Like, that's not <laughs> how things work. Um, 
but yeah, um, ultimately, right. If we just had this utopia where everyone heralded us 6% of the population that hunts is like, Oh, you're the heroes of conservation. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, <laughs> like, bam, let's do it. <laughs> let's make that happen. Uh, unfortunately we don't like, um, I don't, that doesn't seem like a viable, um, outcome, but what you're touching on, right. Is, is that, yeah, the impact can be far outside of, um, of, of those who do the hunting and the fishing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to it earlier too. Uh, you know, if, if we were ever to lose hunting or fishing or whatever, it's not going to be because of like the 6% of hunters It's going to be the general public. And it's not going to be the anti hunters because they're a very small yeah. contingent as well. that are on the far opposite spectrum of hunters. It's the people in the middle and you got to, basically not sour them and you know do hunting justice help them understand why we hunt and the good it does you know the the good that hunting helps contribute to conservation yeah and unfortunately um a lot of the um i'll call them tropes as opposed to traits um a lot of the tropes about hunters and and recreational shooters um, particularly i think angling is a little easier fight to win um don't really have any cultural relevance um, in, in, in the mainstream, right? Uh, I, I think a, a lot of people are very quick to associate some of the negative properties or um, I, don't even, I guess I won't even call them negative, but there are stereotypes out there, right? And um, the, drunk, the ask, drunk redneck shooting deer from a truck, whatever. Yeah, and really great distinction is, is that's not a hunter, right? Because a hunter yeah. is only somebody who's participating in the activity uh, within the bounds of the law, right? But there's a lot of people still, too, that probably aren't doing any service to the future of hunting. Um, and they're still within the bounds of the law. Um, I, I think that's that's an important, like, we have a really bad PR problem um, when it comes to, to hunting. Okay, so... I guess kind of going off that, how, how do we fix it? What is the hardest part of our three? Um, <laughs> just Once simple again, solutions for you here or yeah, questions. Just, the, just simple. Just go out and do these things. And um, I think I'd rather tackle the, what's the hardest part about working in our three. Okay. Um, it's probably similar to, most things um, that that people experience uh, that they're passionate about, people are like really sure of their opinions these days. Um, we kind of live in an age where it's easy to find yourself in an echo chamber. It's really easy to find misinformation and disinformation and um, sources that aren't necessarily, you know, they're just serving an opinion as opposed to, the opinion, um, you know, being served by facts. And it just seems that no one's like willing to sit down, talk and listen to another one another. And don't get me wrong. I love opinions and I love that, that you may have opinions different to me, but when it came to R3, I just didn't seem to run into any, uh, many people that were against R3 that offered any viable solutions 
or alternatives. And I, and I do mean viable. And it's like, I just, like, like I said, I can't place my chips on this. We need people that care about hunting. We don't need them to go hunting. I just psychology and, and, uh, sociology, like that's, that's really not how it works. And so balancing those arguments, uh, against like the over publicizing of hunting on social media, what everybody thinks R3 is like, Oh, uh, what, what's that dude's name that, with the truck that caught fire and the, and the, the poaching thing, whatever. We, we won't bring his name up. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, like, they're like, that's ruining That's R3. That's not R3, my man. Like, and no doubt this is like, it's a tricky dance to dance. I get it. And I fully get it. Like, how can we have a problem with declining relevancy or recruitment or hunter numbers when the boat ramp is full every Saturday? Like, trust me, I'm at that same boat ramp that you are. Um, But it's a teeter-totter and we've got, you can't create more supply of something right in any market right you can't just go out and create supply with an unsure demand you know what i mean like you're not going to invest a bunch of resources capital and time into building supply if you don't know that there is a, a viable demand to consume that supply and i think that's kind of where we're i wouldn't even say we're there yet like we're just dealing with problems of not having enough supply. And we, 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 we know we need more demand. We need more relevance. Um, but currently, right, everybody's on the same, like, three acres. And so it's a tough teeter-totter. Um, and I think ultimately probably what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to alter our, what our expectations are to ensure that, that hunting is around for the, the 22nd century. Yeah. Yeah, very well stated. And, you know, kind of going off that is what we kind of already talked about is the the access issue. That's a big a big part of it because unless, you know, unless you're paying for a guide to go out on a guided hunt or whatever, or you've got your lease, uh, you're hitting public. And one of the main complaints of public ground now is it's overcrowded. And, you know, they're not making more land. So that, that that's the biggest issue, I guess. We're in this whole, because it's a whole tangled web, this whole, I mean, there's, it's, it's multiple issues stacked together to make one big issue, essentially. And I think the biggest part is the lack of access and the destruction of habitat. I think those kind of go hand in hand. And I think habitat loss, habitat destruction, that's the most crucial. I'm putting that at number one at the top because without habitat, you don't have any game. You don't have any nature. You don't have, there's, there's nothing to hunt. There's nothing to fish. If you don't have the habitat to support it to, you know, raise viable populations to do so. So that, that has to be number one. And what do you, yeah. And it is number one, right? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but what do you think is driving the loss of that habitat? I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different, uh, yeah, but is it more hunters? Is it, is it like more hunters? Are, no, are, more, hunters more hunters aren't. They're not more hunters are not destroying the habitat. Are uh, they causing you, less got... habitat to be deployed? No. Oh, I just I'll, curious. No, I, I I don't even know how you would say that because their contra- their conservation dollars are going to not only state fish and game organizations but also 
the conservation organizations like Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, Pheasants Forever, Quell Unlimited, um, or Quell Forever, sorry, misspoke there. There's tons of them out there. But they're helping contribute to restore that habitat and rehabilitate it in some cases. But things yeah, like... Yeah, I was just checking. I, and for, for anybody that doesn't know me, I, I, I get a little, like, sarcastic. I apologize. Yeah. So... But, I mean, you're seeing increased, like, for at least for, like, wetlands, uh, agriculture is a big destroyer of uh, wetlands, or has been in the past. Uh, there's been some legislation that has curbed that, but it's still it's still happening. Um, and you can't really blame the landowners. They're, they're paying taxes on that. They have to make money off their property, off their land. That's their livelihood. So... Ultimately, I think a lot of it yeah. has to come from the government yeah, for hold that. On. And then hold on. Hold organization, on. Let me, too. Let me pull you over real quick. Yeah. Land use behavior, right? Um, you know, you're talking about, and we've got dear friends in, that are farmers, and we, we know, right? Like, it is tough to, to make a living farming, right? Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most heavily subsidized uh, markets that we have. Um, and for good reason, because, uh, we, we do need like, I mean, food is a national security threat. It's a market threat. Right. Um, and all this to say, right. is like our markets that we have right now don't value nature. Um, and it's the same thing as like in the work that I do now with like carbon credits, right? Well, it's all just land use behavior and valuing nature. Our markets they they don't um, they don't value nature at all. So there's nothing like really paying for nature other than you know the the, the programs that we all know and hear and probably bicker about. Um, if markets were more geared towards balancing profits with um, nature and a hospitable earth with clean water, clean air, and temps that won't you know like cook you from the inside out, like this week, um, as opposed to just valuing bottom lines of, of, um, you know, the, the top percentage, we probably wouldn't be in this position as, as hunters, but unfortunately, like, right, we can't, we can't change the results of, of what happens when nature goes away, right? That, uh, whether that's climate change or hunting sucks, right? Um, but what we can change and what a lot of people like, I think forget, um, is, is that humans invented markets, and markets value, uh, or excuse me, markets put value on what people value. And that's money, right? Right now, right? Um, and of course it is. And we can't reinvent how the laws of nature works or or that deer don't like living in parking lots and eating your off of your grass, right? Um, but we can reinvent markets. Uh, we can shape and mold markets to value nature, Um and so whether that's, you know, carbon credits or high hunting lease um, rates, right? Like uh, that's, that's kind of where we sit. We can, we can reinvent uh, these markets and you can vote with your dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can't really, can't really add too much more there. And we cool. kind of jumped the shark there a little bit too. Um, I guess let's go back to the R3 deal here. 
and let's talk about the criticisms of R3 and the merits that those arguments have. Because I don't want to, you know, it, it's important, especially in today's day and age, doesn't matter the issue, to keep an open mind and to hear your critics and to kind of, it gives you a better perspective. And they might have some excellent points. They might not be completely right. They might not, you might not be completely right. But I want to hear the, the criticisms to R3 and why some people, um, granted it's a small subset, I would say, uh, seem to be very opposed to it. Yeah. I th- what The problem with addressing some of, of these is that the squeaky wheel, uh, what gets the grease, whatever. The vocal so, minority. Yeah. And see, and are people to support it. Um, once again, like the hardest part about R3 is there's like, what viable option are you bringing? I have, I haven't seen any solutions from any of the squeaky wheels other than like, um, don't post about social media or don't post about your hunt on social media. It, it, things, things of this nature. Um, but I, I don't really know that that's actually the problem. Those are just the loud attention grabbing things that cause our three practitioners to have to react to. And, and I don't, I don't truly believe that like the, the everyday hunter is aligns completely with, with either side of that, right? There's somewhere in the middle. I feel like, the 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 common person is probably like yeah i get it we probably do we we need more hunters but also like it really sucks that i you know someone's sitting in my tree stand right now um or or someone's at the the boat ramp and i don't know if the the criticisms of r3 um from those louder ones really merit argument. But what does merit argument is like, how are we going to one grow um, our participation base and also still serve the cultural requirements and the, the, the necessary requirements of Matt of, you know, our friends and, and the, the new hunter how are we going to serve those at the same time? And the arguments against R3 um, that are most important um, are, are probably those. And okay, so I think, one, go ahead. So, so one thing I guess I've seen, um, granted, you know, I've only come across it a few times, but they, they mentioned that private companies are pushing R3 to basically build a consumer base so they can sell more, product yeah 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 that's a that's a fun one to talk about um any product company out there right that's in the hunting space um they want r3 because more participants means more jackets means more kayaks means more guns right i mean that's just market economics 101 um and what are they trading with that and uh I think it's important to know that not all products that you pay for, and I would imagine like most of the products that you do pay for to go hunting don't actually support conservation. Like, do you know what products 
um, fund, the Pittman-Robertson um, funds, or the Dingle Johnson funds? Do, are, you, do, are you asking me? You, well, yeah. Like, no, I'm asking the, the, the listener. Like, do you know what in your hunt locker right now, like, legit paid for conservation? Or, um, like, did your $3,000 jacket, um, like, is that just did that really help? You know what I mean? Um, conservation, it doesn't matter, right? You, you can spend your money on what you want to spend it on. Um, but know that, that those marketing efforts and when they say R3, right? Yeah, they're, they're probably uh, a pretty crucial player in the recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters and, and anglers um, because they're the ones that get to spend millions of dollars, uh, hundreds of millions, if not a, you know billions of dollars over over a decade on on influencing your behaviors you know who doesn't have a big old um marketing budget like that the people that are in charge of your r3 programs the people that are stewarding the responsible growth of your participation um there's a certain uh, amount of funding that um does come now from the Pittman Robertson Modernization Act, which happened in 2019, which allows state agencies um, to use some of those match dollars um, on things like R3 programs, um, things like um, shooting sports infrastructure. Um, and so that's really helpful to, to help them to be able to deploy resources to help grow. Um, but ultimately, like the, um, the, the product side, like they're not any, they're not in any of the R three meetings. They're not, they're not sitting there and um, like wondering like what's the best way, how can we support, um, like what's going on. No, they're trying to sell products, and that's their bottom line, right? That's what they have to deploy those resources on. Did that get anywhere close to what you were asking? Right. Maybe I went off the rails. Uh, I think I think you kind of touched on her. Oh, homework though would would be great is that if everybody that listens to this did go out and look at like, Hey, what products actually uh, do fund that excise tax uh, or have an excise tax on them that, that funds conservation. That's, that's a, that's a good one to, to look up. Okay. But for the uh, lazier people out there, why don't you just give us a quick rundown? Oh, that's the problem, Matt. Oh, with I, our society. I, no. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Pittman Robertson Act, right? Um, there's an excise tax that happens at the manufacturer level. So the manufacturer actually pays for this. And these companies, they're very proud of this. I don't, you, you don't hear of these companies or industries complaining about having to pay the excise tax. They understand um, where their money goes and, and how it helps their business in the future. And it's a really like, it's a good feel. Um, so like 11% mostly um, of firearms, ammunition, um, certain archery products, um, I think it's like 10 or 8%, I can't remember, of like handguns, sales goes towards that excise tax, um, fishing, um, so like boats and um, uh, marine um, gas um, and, and certain fishing products too. I'm a little less versed on the, on the Dingle Johnson side, uh, what products actually go towards uh, that. 
Uh, but what's important to know is, is that the manufacturers are paying that excise tax before, you know, it gets to Cabela's. So, um, yeah, that's a good start, I think. Yeah. But every day you're walking past products in Walmart that either fund or do not fund conservation. And it would be um, a really cool thing if somehow the product companies out there could, you know, advertise that. I was I was literally just thinking that like it'd be cool you know if they had a, a label like portion of this purchase goes towards conservation or supports that this you know the Pittman Pittman Robertson Act yeah. and uh, its goal for conservation. But let's move on down the list. Okay, so why did you quit? <laughs> why, why did you quit your R three job? Oh, <laughs> uh, I love working on R3. I, and I, I still love working on R3. Like, um, I still talk to, uh, folks in, in, in that space. And, um, of course I didn't, I didn't quit, so to say, as I just felt really good about, um, uh, what my team and the product that we had built, what it had done. Um, there, for anybody out there that, doesn't know what like a CRM is or, or a CDP. It's a customer relationship management platform or a, a customer data platform. Essentially it is allowing uh, an agency to basically have like a single picture. So Matt, Matt bought his hunting license and his fishing license. He went camping over here and we kind of have all that on Matt's profile so that I know Matt buys his dang, um, waterfowl stamp every year in november i don't need to send him an email oh boy it's past his time of when he normally buys it hey matt just want to check in you gonna are you gonna go hunting this year um and you go oh yeah i will and i whatever right having those types of relationships um so that anyways that's kind of what the 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 technology that I built it and it did it in an automated fashion. These state agencies, they do not have unlimited resources to, to be able to, to have one-on-one relationships with their constituents or customers. Um, there's a small team of people, um, with limited funding. And so how can you get the most bang for your buck in, in creating relationships with your constituents, helping them out, um, understanding why, you know, Matt, let's say you don't buy, I can send you, one email that says, Hey, what was the reason you didn't go hunting this year? And you could tell me too much pressure, didn't have enough time, whatever. Right. And we can begin understanding that about you and, and making our relationship a, a little bit better and, and ultimately serving you. Um, this is not some like big, scary thing. Every good company out there that's selling products and having great customer um, interactions is, is using one of these tools. And so I felt really good about having deployed um, not only like the first solution in um, in the, the state agency space um, for that, but like probably going to be the best um, piece of technology um, for doing that for probably the inevitable future. And the team that we had built to support it, that was out there helping train and coach and mentor and, and teach and, and ultimately like work with the state agencies, because there's a lot of bright uh, folks at your state agencies um, that are just being hindered by the daily minutia and kind of getting some of that stuff out of their way and allowing them to scale. Um, I, I felt really good about it. And the team was just on a really good trajectory. Um, 
yeah, and they're they're still out there kicking butt and, and doing good. And so I feel really good. Um, uh, I felt really good about it and where it was going. And it was just time for me to move on to another discipline of, of conservation. Like I said, the land use behavior uh, change. Um, as I, I kind of want to round out my experiences and, and scale my impact um, as much as I can. And I just had another opportunity to allow me to do that and kind of get into a different space of conservation so that, you know, in 15, 20 years, I can, you know, be doing the best that I can to my abilities um, in the space. And so, you know, at the, the end of, of, of when I'm laying on my deathbed, like I want my daughter and, and your kids and, and all your kids out there to be like proud of me for, for doing what I could to ensure that uh, they can enjoy a day outside. So, what's what's that kinda, quote? Um, Society grows best when old men plant trees that they'll never see the shade of. Kinda <laughs> yeah, but kind of what you the, remind me of. Okay, so I'm not that benevolent. I still want to be able to like <laughs> kill limits, baby. You know, um, <laughs> tongue in cheek there. Um, but no, I, I want to feel good about uh, my impact. And I'm not like, listen, I'm not the hottest thing since sliced bread. I am not the best at anything. But I just want to make sure that if I'm going to be working hard on something, that I want to uh, be able to like scale uh, the the unique skill sets that I do have. Um, and, and make an impact where I can. Yes. Awesome. So I guess, uh, we're, we're over the hour mark here. Let's, uh, let's just talk real quick. I think we've hammered out the R3 issue as about as much as we can. Um, no, probably not. Well, okay. That's fair. We can, I'm sure we'll have you back on and maybe we can do a whole nother R3 social media kind of future of hunting deal in the future. But uh, for now, what are, uh, in, I guess in summation, closing out here, what, what are your uh, hunting plans this upcoming season? Yeah, um, I, have some, I have some trips planned. Um, I can give out grid coordinates to anybody willing to send me $100 for Matt's best hunting spots. Um, Kansas. Yeah, I... I I do have a trip planned to Kansas. Um, but yeah, I've got um, two or three like kind of duck trips. I know our kind of, uh, I have kind of have an annual duck hunting trip with our friend Bryce and, and Scott. Um, and I, it sounds like maybe it's not going to work out um, to where all four of us can be hunting on the same weekend this year. I think you're out, aren't you? Are you hearing about this for the well, first time? I yeah, this is news to me. Oh, yeah, fine, I'll go by myself. <laughs> uh, awkward. So there's that trip. <laughs> um, and then I do have a, another friend that lives in Kansas that I'm going to go visit and, and spend the weekend at, at his house and catch up with him. And we're going to go hit some of the old um, old stomping grounds from when I lived in Kansas. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and really exciting this year. Um is that last, the, the latter part of the season last year, um, we discovered, uh, me and another friend, that one of our friends has like a really great pond, like right next to a power plant. Um, and we did a lot of good goose hunting there and really got that guy, he's like, he's really kind of getting back into goose hunting 
And so we're building a blind out there right now. And I've got an ice eater on the way. Excited for that. A lot of my hunting this year will be uh, once again centered around um, uh, whether or not I can take my daughter with me. So I'm really excited about that. Um, She went on a lot of hunting trips last year and she's really excited for this season. And so some of those um, comfier um, situations is is what I'm going for. Hence the the blind over a pond. And I've got a really nice deer uh, blind that I made that's like nice and heated. And I think I've sent you pictures of that. She really enjoys that. So you're not going to take her out on another, what was it? What, what what did you go hunting in last year? It was like negative 25 or negative 30. Yeah. You went, you went out hunting. Listen, I've got some dad goals. All right. And my dad goal is for any of you boy dads out there that like, if, if you're like, my goal is to be like that your son, this this sounds so bad. I, I really don't mean this, but like, I want boys to be like kind of, scared or intimidated to like ask my daughter on a date like ah she kills way more ducks than i do you know that sort of situation (laughs) no um i'm being i'm being funny i just really want to like um she is loving it and so i'm not gonna slow down on it we we did we went out to like an ada blind on a thursday i took the morning off from work and it was i think i said it was like 10 degrees yeah, it's like ten degrees, and I mean the I mean the water was completely frozen over. I just literally chucked decoys out on the ice just to like entertain her, and we just kind of sat in the blind and ate Casey's pizza, breakfast pizza, um, with a heater on, and kind of shot the poop, so to say. And that was so that was a lot of fun. But um, my wife wasn't very thrilled by that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would venture to guess that like my daughter. Um, uh she went on like more hunts than like probably like 60 to 70 percent of my uh of my friends last year so that was fun nice yeah what about you man what are you talking about Uh, every week well i guess i do have a little update i was hoping to draw my swan tag for utah that the results came out today did not get it but Hope that I mean it's probably a sure thing next year is kind of what it sounds like. I I ended up putting in with a buddy tag um, with another uh, friend of mine this year, so hopefully we can both uh, draw next year and you know both get a nice swan. Can we talk about um, friends that have like weddings in the fall? Uh, can we? Hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, I've got a I've got a buddy with a wedding this fall. Now he was he was to his credit he was congenial and he put it between Nebraska teal season and Nebraska duck opener, but it's still on a Husker game day. Husker game just, day and like probably when the when the calendar laid all out, I was like that would have been a prime weekend for me to go archery deer hunting. Yeah, I. Just, some people, I tell you what, some people ban fall weddings. If there's if there's anything we should all be against, it's fall weddings. I'll stand firm on that. Harvest seasons, farmers don't want them. Fall fishermen, hunting, football fans, no no need for them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, before we round round out, um, 
I kind of I think I have a call to action for Let's hear it. for this. I bet. Well, probably there's some people that were like pretty irritated by some of the things I said. Not really, maybe not speaking to them, or maybe I am as well. But um, I bet there are some people out there that are like wondering. You know what? I want to do that too. Like I want to get into conservation. Um, and I, I want to like kind of do similar things. I bet there's a couple people out there. Like, of course we, we know the ways that we can support, right? Hey, like be a committee member for your ducks unlimited chapter or, or whatever. And those things are great and helpful. Um, you know, be a supporter of your state agency and be a critic of your state agency where you, where you, where you can do it constructively. But I think I guess like a call to action for me, um, and to kind of tie up the bow of like why I'm no longer really involved with the foul front and like, um, is, is that start looking for, if you want to do that, you can do it. Start looking for your foot in the door. Um, and that's what the foul front was for me. I wanted to, I was transitioning out of the military. I wanted to prove to some people that, um, the people that would potentially hire me that like I deserve to be in the conservation space that I care about it. I'm passionate about it. I have opinions, thoughts, and some skills. Uh, and so that's really what the foul front was for me. It was like a, a good way. Uh, and it didn't start off that way, by the way, that wasn't my original intent. Um, but it was a good way for me to prove, um, that like I care about it. I belong in it. I created, um, I created evidence and proof, um, that I can like build something and, and, you know, try to, you know, be conservation focused, etc. And, uh, I just, if anybody is like really wondering how they can do it or what are some good ways to get into conservation, I, I guess I would be happy in, in, in helping those people out to do that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I work in conservation as well and, if people wanted to reach out, I could help point them to different other pursuits as well. If they were kind of interested in those endeavors. Yeah. But I guess let's just call that a podcast. Be sure once again to follow us on the foul front podcast group. If you guys are interested in, uh, giving us some feedback, always love hearing from, from you. Give us five stars if you think we deserve it on whatever listening platform you're on. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.